Hello and you are welcome to the RF podcast. We have a bonus episode today. It's just myself, no end of Mac here in the top floor of RF Towers. Today we have a man who is going to run an ultra marathon across Mayo in 24 hours. It is gym owner, personal trainer, a coach in Mayo for 11 years. It's Kevin Welch. Kevin Welch or Kevin Walsh? Kevin, Kevin Welch. Kevin Welch. Okay, Kev, nice to see you. Nice to see you again. It's been a while since I met you before. How's life with you? Not too bad, no, not too bad. Um, thanks for having me, first of all. So just to help with a bit of raising awareness for the fundraiser. Uh, I know you're one of the most listened to men up there with Tommy Marin and Mayo. So. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, it, well, it's, it's going well, but it, it's great to have someone on that's a uh, I think we've talked about you a fair bit on the podcast, whether it be you were, you know, managing Gary Moore, you're coaching Mayo Gales now. I think you've, you've told me you have 11 years uh, coaching in Mayo uh, in GA circles. So I think you'd be well, you're well known now at this stage around the county. And uh, when it came to the idea of, you know, when I seen you were doing the event or what you're doing, the charity event for and, and, and the, the uniqueness of it, Along with the GEA background, I think it was it was it was a no-brainer to have someone like yourself on. So it's uh, yeah. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about the, the the charity event first, why you're doing it, and how you're doing it? So I run. I have a gym in Clemars for the last. This is nine years. Just this month, and I'd always be doing some sort of fitness challenge, whether it's trying to get more flexible or learn a handstand or increase a squat or a bench press, you know, so a lot of the stuff that GA players be familiar with. Um, but this is the first actual running challenge. So I haven't really ran since I played football. And when I did play football, I was uh, very light and the running training actually suited me. I, I would have been up pretty high in most fitness tests. Um, so this is the first bit of running I've done in 10 years. So just as a break from kind of the weight training, I decided to do running and then decided to do an ultra marathon. And the first bit of training for that was three marathons in three weeks. Jesus. So that um, last month. So I knew if I was to ever have a chance of finishing the ultra marathon, I'd have to put a, a couple of marathons back to back. I actually met you. I, I think I met you one of the days on the road. I was going to uh, Bacon. It was a Sunday morning. I met you out on the road. I slowed down. I was like, is that Kevin yeah. Welch? Why is he out running? And it's like he, he definitely lives a good bit away from here. I think it was yeah, near Robe I met you, and I was like, and then yeah. I seen the post a couple, uh, maybe a week later. I was like, ah, I see what's going on now. I I thought I was about to be abducted when you stopped in the <laughs> Well, I was kind of yeah. wondering myself. I was like, that couldn't be him, but it was. Um, How many people have came up to me uh, saying I met you out on the road? Because when you're out running, you're kind of zoned out a bit especially when you have the headphones in but a lot of people have come up to me and said they've seen me running here or there uh, over the last while so it's all good because it helps raise the awareness and while lifting weights is definitely my favorite form of exercise um you can't really lift weights for charity people do marathons <laughs> for charity runs yeah. for charity so it's it's ideal for that and the the, the charity i'm doing it for Mellon Educate or the Nile Mellon Trust is, you know, it's very well known in Ireland. Um, I'm sure a few people listening to this will will have uh, participated in it. So they build houses and schools for some of the poorest people in South Africa. And it was set up by an Irish uh, developer who was over there on holidays and saw some of the poverty 
and decided to do something about it. So it's it's nearly a local charity, but with a global impact. Yeah, it's great now that you're actually doing something. So it's 66 miles across Mayo. Uh, what, yeah. And you're going to do it in 24 hours. So what's the, have you a plan done out in your head of when you're going to start or what time you're going to start or the breaks and so on? <laughs> well, for, for the runs so far, I've just picked up my shoes and just decided where I'm going to go maybe the night before. So the, this there isn't too much planning in it. And that's kind of what I like about it, because you know, as with any fitness plan, even working with a football team, you can overthink these things and then not end up actually doing the hard part, which is doing the work. So yeah. I, I'm probably going to leave at about five o'clock in the morning from Ballantyne, from the border in Ballantyne, and basically just keep running until I get to the, the water at the far side. <laughs> brilliant. So, brilliant. So maybe every 10... 15k maybe for a drink and that but nothing longer than 10 20 minutes yeah and trying to but the idea is to like be so exhausted and so fatigued by the end of it that you can barely put one foot in front of the other and you know that's for some strange reason anyone who plays football who has played football will be able to understand that sometimes <laughs> running in the muck and you're training really hard and it's the happiest you'll ever be even though you could be at home taking it easy um, the hard challenge of the training is the most enjoyable part. Yeah, yeah, you'll be going, uh, you'll be going through Newport as well, through the God Country of Burshul. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I ran the run so far, so I'm going to try and go uh, the back roads, maybe towards Mayo Abbey, Ballantubber, Carnacon, um, Kilawala, and then get on the Greenway from there, Westport, and then yeah. run the run the Greenway uh, from Westport all the way to Ackle and keep going till I touch the water and that will be the county crossed. Brilliant. So Brilliant. will you jump in? I, I'm hoping to jump in at the end of it. Yeah, <laughs> it wouldn't be worth all that work unless you got an, an, a chopless Instagram picture in, in, from the beach yeah. in the water. <laughs> you know, if there seems to be something magic recovery wise about the Atlantic uh, off Galway or off Mayo. So a lot of people swear by it. So yeah, I, I, I do. I, 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 I do. Uh, I would highly recommend anyone. It uh, there is something about the seawater, right? In fairness, but um, yeah, it's 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 going to be, it's going to be a great challenge. Are you nervous about it or excited or you must there must be a. Yeah, I definitely do. I definitely get a bit nervous um, before all the runs, you know, because uh, when you, what you hear about road running, I'm completely novice to road running or maritime running. So what you hear about it, it just it just beats up the body an awful lot. So you're worried then you'll get an injury in your hip flexor or a hamstring or a calf or something. And I have had small tweaks since I started, but thank God it's been nothing serious. And uh, I've pulled through everything fine so far, you know, nothing, nothing more than a niggle. So the only thing I was worried about was saying I'm going to do it, then getting an injury and having to stop, you know. Yeah, yeah. So be worried that I'll quit or anything is just... I'd be worried that I get an injury leading up to it and wouldn't be able to attempt it on the day. Yeah. When do you, uh, what date? Just let the listeners know. This Sunday coming. Right. This That's Sunday. brilliant. It's very so exciting. I have, I have a couple of coaches and a physio doing it with me. Um, so the couple of coaches, my brother-in-law, uh, Kieran McGrath, do you know you've had him on the podcast? Have, we've, had, we've had Giz on the pod a few times now. Yeah, and then uh, my brother, uh, he works in the gym with me, Brendan, 
and then Kevin Lynch, the physio, so he's uh, his male gills captain. So three hardly enough books. I don't think they'll let me quit even if I want to. Yeah, they're not going to run the whole thing with you. They're just doing bits. No, no do they'll bit. just be driving beside me and doing small bits with me. And Brilliant. Make, don't quit, I suppose. Brilliant. No, that's great. Which that's is great. what I... Which is what any coach is for, really, making sure you don't quit. Yeah. Coaching, Kev, you're big into it. You had a really good year last year. I think it's propelled you up into the higher echelons now when the coaches of Mayo. You've done a, good, done a great job at Mayo Gales. You were a long time with Gary Moore. Um, you, you you must be mad for it. You must love it. I do, yeah. I, I absolutely love it. I love, um, I love Gaelic football in general. But uh, I, I really enjoyed the coaching side of it. And I've had a very, very lucky coaching career. So you know, I haven't won much silverware. But in terms of um, being involved with teams and projects that have been very enjoyable and people, good people, yeah. I've been very, very lucky. And I've learned from um, some, some really um, big names in the GEA. Even if it's only been an hour or two of a conversation, even if it's only been a small bit of advice here and there, I've just somehow always got luck and been able to learn from some really smart people. So when I was opening my gym first, I um, used to listen to an awful lot of podcasts uh, from someone called Tim Ferriss. I'm sure you've heard of him. <laughs> and then uh, there was a strength and conditioning coach that I learned most of my stuff uh, the personal training and the strength conditioning stuff from called Charles Polquin. And both of them were really big on mentors. So okay. they would have this list of questions that you should ask a mentor, someone smarter than you. And it doesn't matter if the mentor is with you every three times a week for a year or two, or whether you just get one conversation with them. You should be trying to pick bits of advice from everyone. And their questions, one was an author and one was a strength conditioning coach, are actually very, very similar. What were the questions, so Kev? That's, that, that's uh, something that I think you'll find very interesting. So the questions were, uh, what is, if you were given advice to someone who wanted to be like you, what would you tell them not to do? That's a good okay. one. Yeah, it is. So the, I've asked some you know, very good coaches that and an awful lot of the answers back have been don't fucking overcomplicate it basically <laughs> yeah and which we all do which i've been very very guilty of in the past yeah. you know and do you another do you, sorry yeah go on no if you have another question that's interesting uh so another side of it then would like i would always ask them what's their favorite x y or z okay so What's their favorite attacking shape? You might ask them. So do they like two wide men and one inside? Do they like two men inside forward line? Do they like, you know, and you get a good answer then. Or I'd ask them, what's their favorite drill for goals? And you're not hearing back anything that's revolutionary, but they might explain it in a way where it's like, oh, geez, yeah, of course, that makes sense. That makes great sense. So if you can if you can get a conversation with a smart person, an experienced person, it'll often um, not make things more complicated or not make you way smarter. It'll strip away a lot of the, you know, the bullshit and make things very simple for you, which is which is what I've been very, very lucky to do. Yeah. So if you were to walk into 
your gym in the morning and there is a 20-year-old Kevin Welch there and you know what he's thinking. He's going out taking Gary Moore for the first year or he's going out with a team. Do you think yeah. you get on? <laughs> Good question. Probably not. I'm, I'm yeah. different now than I was back then. So, like, when I was, when I was growing up, um, my dad taught me an awful lot of very simple stuff that has stuck with me all the way throughout, you okay. know, that I'm, that I'm still thinking of now all the time when I'm coaching teams. So, like, he, he won uh, an All-Ireland with Coleman's and another one with the Mayo Miners and another one with Sigerson. And he was lucky enough to be around some great coaches. I remember him talking about Father Newell, who was involved in the Gary Moore team as well. And then Billy, Billy Fitz. Yeah. Uh, Austin Garvin. And he would be telling me kind of these simple things that he used to be told when he was playing. Like, you know, give and go, give the ball, go for the return. Uh, if forwards don't be in before the ball, so don't crowd it, wait till the ball's kicked in and then support afterwards. And, you know, if, if they train... He was in Coleman's when the attitude was, if they train five days a week, we're going to train six about Jarlis, you know. Okay. And I've always, been, I've always been very much of that um, approach because I think you can't outsmart in hard work. Sometimes during the sports science era, and I love that stuff as much as anyone, people try and outsmart in hard work, you know. Sometimes you just have to run so much that you feel sick, you know. You have to tackle so hard that... You get you get hurt from training, but you're not killed. You're not injured. You're just battered and bruised a little bit. So I would have learned an awful lot from him. And then when I was um, when I was playing myself, uh, I wasn't on a very good underage team. So I was on like Samaras have brilliant underage teams, and the the underage team ahead of me was super, and the one below me, uh, Ryan Quirk and James Shocknessy and those guys was absolutely super as well. But the team I was on was actually pretty weak. But when I was about 14 or 15, I had three coaches in the space of the year who just made us way better. One of them was in Coleman's and one, two of them were in Clamart. So it was Niall Heffernan, Dermot Costello and Coleman's and dad then when I was under 14. And it kind of ingrained in my head then, Jesus, OK, you might have a bad team, but if someone good takes you over, you could actually make a lot of progress very quickly. Yeah. You know? That way you got and the grow for coaching, right? was it? That's where you got the grow for coaching. It pretty much was, yeah, it pretty was. Like, Niall Heffernan was under-16 coach and he just left no stone left unturned. Like, it was video analysis for under-16 games, you know, and motivating the quotes on the wall and that type of stuff. It was ahead of its time. And then Dermot Costello was just absolutely brilliant. I was on the same um, Coleman's team as Shane Alley and uh, a lot of those guys. And he, he won a kind of title with us in juvenile when... We were getting absolutely flaked at the start of the year you know, by Gerald's and these guys. So, like, when I saw a team get turned around like that, that I was involved with, I was like, OK, Jesus, maybe if you do have the right approach to coaching, you can make a lot of progress. You know, mm. it, it opened my heart. Have you a philosophy? Or a, a, philosophy? a blueprint when it comes no. to your, your footballing teams? No, not not really a philosophy. I I would always see see. I got I got as I said before. I got very very lucky. So, Dad would have taught took me to a lot of games when I was younger, 
and I would have got to see, I loved watching Charlestown play because Charlestown were ahead of their time. You know, you, you looked at Charlestown uh, when they were peaking and you were like, these are just doing something different to what everyone else was doing. They were playing short kickouts before short kickouts were a thing. They were playing this run and hand passing game before that was a thing. Joe, you know, I remember going and seeing Peak cross Malina as well. Um, yeah. My uncle, uh, well, two of my uncles, one of my uncles managed Gary Moore and another one managed Athen Rye to All Ireland hurling titles. But ca- ca- uh, cross Malina and Athen Rye were in All Ireland finals on the same day wow. up in Copac. And up in Crow Park on Paddy's Day, and I got to see Cross Malina at a very young age. And Joe, you see how many of them have got into coaching since because they were so far ahead in terms of preparation and the way they thought about the game. Like you look at Rochford, Joe Kane, Kieran McDonald, Shane Nallen, uh, or James Nallen, Heather Gardner. Mulligan and how many of them are top coaches now, you know? And one guy went over to be the chairman of the county board. Yeah, exactly. So you see the the style of um, leadership and like thinking about the game at an advanced level was just there in that team, you know? So of course they had talent in these things, but what what else were they doing that other teams weren't, you know? And I started to ask those questions very young. And you know, the outlet would be explaining things to me. So I remember I saw Charlestown play in town before, peak Charlestown, and they scored 20 points. So I think it was like 1-8 to 20 points. And I remember having a good discussion. Dad was explaining to me how only a brilliant team can score 20 scores in a game because it's more than one individual player um, moving the ball around or just being... You have to have a brilliant team and a very good way of playing to score 20 scores in one game. And it's always been a target of mine ever since. You know, obviously, you only achieve it every so often, but how do you score 20 points in a game? How do you get the whole team a scoring threat? And that's a better question to ask than how do we win this game? It's how do you set up a system that scores 20 points over yeah. on average or whatever? And maybe not. it's not 20 points. Maybe it's 311 or 214, but you get the message, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 actually a great way of looking at it. Um, when you think about the analysis you get fed to on a Sunday night for the Sunday game, it's you know, it's just a clip of four or five things of one fella scoring load and this is how they did it and they won their kickouts and you know, there's uh, there's so much more to it. But I know they can't ram it in on, you know, the 15 minute slot they might have for a game, whatever else. But that's probably why podcasts and everything else probably came out of them now. Yeah, when I was coaching in Gary Moore, I was just very lucky to be around very good people. You know, uh, Fintan Ford and Tony Corcoran first, and then Tom Cunningham, John Nally, my uncle, Johnny Slattery, Miles Fallon, Danny McHugh, and then he'd like Mary Lydon, the video press. They were just great people to be around, you know. Yeah. And they were, you know, either daft enough or smart enough to give me the job when I was only 22, 24, the management job. Yeah blew up in their face the first year we got an awful hammering <laughs> by Ballantyre. We lost by 20 points in the quarterfinal. Ballantyre did what they do. Um, and when that came, and they still kept faith in me, the players and thing, and all I could do was focus on, okay, we got an absolute drumming last year. How, how do we learn from it? How do we get a bit better? How do we, you know, 
people who were writing us off as okay they're finished for a few years now after that hammering but the next year ended up being the best year we've had we drew Mitchells in the county semi-final you know I remember that game I remember that game yeah. you nearly had them yeah so it ne nearly had them and, and people forget how good that three in a row Mitchells team was they yeah. were just absolutely phenomenal you know like their games with Carafin were I'm still watching them to this day and trying to pick out bits on kickouts and pack and shape and things like that. It's like people forget how good that Mitchell's team was. So yeah. even to be competitive, there was very few people getting within 10 points of them, or very few teams getting within 10 points of them in, in those years, you know? Yeah. And to be competitive, even to ask yourself the questions week to week, right, how do we even compete with Paddy Durkin, Newcomb, Owen Riley, Barry Moore and these guys? It's a very good question to be asking and you learn by the punch in the face, is it actually going to work in reality? You know, yeah. so when I, when I was coaching in Gary Moore, I was only 24, 25, and I got to go up against James Horan, Joe Kane, Peter Ford, Ender Gilvary, Declan Riley, Declan Shaw, Ray Kennelly, Ray Dempsey, uh, Mulligan. Like, I'm obviously not winning all those games, but every one of those games, I got to think to myself, okay. He's very smart and he has a good team at his disposal. How is he going to go about beating us? And you'd write down your few notes on that. And then you'd write down, okay, how am I going to go about trying to get a game plan to go and beat them? And it's just hell, it's just hell for leather. And that's the beautiful thing about the Mayo Championship is it's so competitive. There's so many teams, there's so many brilliant coaches in it that if you have the attitude that you love football and you want to learn and you want to try things out, there's no better place to be. You know, I, I, I was coaching in Clare for a couple of years and they do a lot of things very, very well, but it's it's nowhere near the Mayo Championship. The Mayo Club Championship is phenomenal. Yeah, you know? it, it is. It's, it's, and I think the big thing about football and Mayo is there is nothing else really drawn out with. You know, there seems to be the prime guys at underage nearly yeah. always end up going into the only show in town. Um, you've talked an awful lot there about people, Kevin, and you seem to, you know, you you, you seem to like to, you know, get a bit from people. And that's the, the the picture I'm gathering from you. You mentioned yeah. there Finton Ford and Tony Corker, and we uh, we played Eastern Gales there recently in a challenge match, and the two boys, it was in Tormacady, the two boys came in to the Black Mask Inn, the pub beside afterwards, and we were all in there, and. It's something you never see nowadays that you, after a match, you actually get to talk to the people that you're playing against or on the line against. It's that thing in the GA is gone, and it seems that maybe you were born in the wrong generation. I think if you were, if you were thirty years ago, you'd probably meet all these people more often. So uh, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Chair. I'm glad you brought that up because, like, you read. Um, Gaudiola's book or Alex Ferguson's book and they're talking about after all the premiership games they go up and meet and they get to have a chat yeah. I think there's more of a avenue or more of a uh, place for that because I, I would absolutely love to talk to all the coaches afterwards but sometimes when you're on the line and it's fiery or whatever else and it's a tough game you think this guy hates me or this guy but I, I was um, I think there's a mutual respect among a lot of the coaches in Mayo and if they talked more often amongst each other, it's only going to be good for the game, you know. Yeah. And I, one of the brilliant things about 
James Horan's term this time. You know, I'm, I'm a big James Horan fan. I'm sure that uh, has people are mixed on that. But one brilliant thing he's done this time is it's all been Mayo coaches. You know, he's had six or seven different Mayo coaches involved in this term between you know, McDonald, your man from Kiltane. Um, oh, yeah, there's, there's been so many Mayo coaches. But the way the game is coached in Mayo is so intense. Uh, that that's why we have such a strong county team. That's why we produce so many good players. You know. Yeah. Would you? Is there anybody? If you were, if you were given a a senior club in the morning, and you have a blank check, you're getting in a, people you want to work with. Is there anyone in Mayo you'd like to bring in and work with? Is there anyone you look at and go, "Geez, I'd love to do a season with this guy. He seems like he's a genius." It's a good. It's a good question. It's a good question. Well, when when I was um, when I was young and I was just starting coaching, or when I was playing underage, I used to love watching uh, Aidan Higgins in Charlestown, Padder Gardner in Crosmina, and Alan Dillon in Ballantubber. You know, um, I don't know what they'd be like as coaches. You know, because just because you're a good player doesn't mean you're a good coach. But I used to love watching them because they could basically play any position on the pitch. Yeah, they were smart enough and they seemed to be thinking like Jim O'Connor now they seemed to be thinking about the game two or three plays ahead of everyone else you know they were where the ball would be before the ball was there they were uh, breaking onto the move at the right time they were never crowding it you know they were always coming on the move move at the right time they were always coming on the break at the right time so uh, whether you can work with them or not, you know, I, I think Padre Gardner was loved up in Belmont last year, from what yeah. I gather. Yeah. Very, very, and another one of those crossing line group, like just very smart footballers, you know, like being being the fastest or the strongest or whatever is brilliant, but at the end of the day, you have to be a very very smart footballer. Um. So, I think I think like even. Say Kevin Lynch now, for example, in, in Mayo Gills, he still remembers what Ray Kennelly taught him about tackling in Ted Webb training. Do you know? Yeah. So like you're trying to think who would you who would you work with with a club team? It's very hard to pick because there's so many good people, so many good players and yeah. past players that, that it's more about the timing of the team, you know, the timing of the club, all these things. Like one, one of the things I've said to Mayo Gales and I said to James Fallon is like the Neil last year, they had all news of them. Like, is there anyone better who can manage the Neil really? Probably not. Do you know, you thought, might say Jim Gavin or Jim McGuinness, but sure, who's, who's going to know the Neil better than all news? The same mm. with Andy and Solon in Balladrine. And the same then Clamaris with John McKean, Ray Kennelly. And then none of them even got out of the group. That's how competitive it is. So like yeah. you can have a you can have a brilliant management team, but it's all about timing, you know. Is there good players coming on at the one time? Is there you know, all these different things? Injury, injuries to, and everything else. Injuries yeah. and then players, distractions, you know. One thing one thing I think we talked about one day, you picked it up on one of the pods, was um peaking at the right time and how some teams seem to you know they might do a heap of work in january february march and then they'll yeah. blow through their divisional cups and have a good run the league but when it comes down to then they just seem to peter out um like is there a science behind peaking at the right time or how there definitely is there definitely is about it. 
I know a lot of your, you know, a lot of your audiences is coaches. Um, mm. I met John Stagg and uh, James Regan in the coffee shop the last day, and there was a buzz because the league had started, and there was a few ga- league games to talk about, you know. But but a lot of your uh, audience is coaches. So like, is there a science to peaking? It's a bit of an art and a bit of a science. So let's let's say the best way to explain it, I think. And, you know, there's going to be different opinions on this, which is a good thing, you know. But the best way to explain it will be peaking is overrated and what you're looking for is optimal. Okay, so optimal is one foot in front of the other week to week. Right. That's underrated. And then the peak and this peak that oh, we're going to be absolutely flying this month is, is a bit overrated, you know? So let's say, for example, you have someone, like a team like Kerfin or Mitchells, you know, peak Mitchells, peak Ballantubber, you're going to look at them and think, okay, they have nothing done for the last 12 weeks, okay? Maybe two pitch sessions. Is a team that has, you know, just given it everything for the last 12 weeks beforehand that's maybe junior or intermediate going to be competitive with them even though they've done no work no is the answer you know and you could ask yourself why is that well the answer is because they have this optimal level of strength conditioning you know of fitness of you know their percentage body fats will all be low their basic fitness markers would be so high sustained over such a long period might be five ten years with some of their players that the optimal you know staying in shape year round not this peaking thing that's you know going to come out of the sky for us after three months hard work that's a bit of an illusion what you're trying to do is build habits that fellas are lean year round fellas are strong year round fellas are you know uh put they have a good beep test bleep test year round and then Four or five weeks hard work, they'll peak. You know, but yeah. what you're looking for year-round thing, their year-round base of fitness. Because if a fella's out of shape, it's 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 a long slog to get him in shape. You know. Do you think that's why Mayo they're they're nearly training around the clock? Whether it be they have long seasons intercounty, then they go back into their club, which could be another month or a month and a half. And these lads are at such a level now that it's it's. It's just constantly moving around and it's year by year that these lads are at this nearly optimal level all the time. And even the Kildare yeah. game yesterday was like they blew them out of the water the last ten minutes. Well, if you remember the if you remember the um, the Kieran or the Kieran Fitzgerald document documentary. Yeah. Remember I, I forget who said it on it, but someone said oh, they cracked the season. Do you know? Yes. And they did. They did kind of crack the season. They seemed to always be flying at the right time. Whether that was for the county final, the Connacht final, the fucking the All Ireland final day. But that's how they did it, more or less, from what I can see from the outside. You know, they obviously had a brilliant strength conditioning coach in um I forget his first name now. We'll get it. Um, he's Jim Jim and Chum, yeah. yeah. But he he, he had them constantly at a certain level on the bleep tests, on a certain level, on strength tests, on a certain level. On, and because they all had to be at that level all the time, they were never 12, 15 sessions was going to have them flying for a match. Do you know? Yes, so they could they could heat it up uh, at certain times of the year. So 
Exactly. Yeah. So so you can give you can give lads. That's why with the intercounty teams, if they have you know, maybe a three four week gap, you can give them a weekend off. They're not going to drop levels because their base level is so high. So, yeah. so if you're training for a fin, you could give them a week off because their base levels of fitness is so high that they're not going to get on fit in a week. Yeah, and it's probably going to be it's probably going to be beneficial for them to have that break, either it be the head or the body. Exactly. Yeah, which is what I found is like often a week off is a great thing because it mentally freshens it up. Yeah. You know, like yeah. if you train all the time with no breaks, it's mentally stale things get, not physically. Is it's it's really it looks to me when I when I'm looking at coaches now and training. It's it's all about the buy-in, isn't it, really? That is basically, if you can't get them lads to get into this sort of idea of the optimum, as you're saying it is, if they're not mm. doing the three or four things a week and they're constantly doing it, it, it it's really not worth the, the hassle, is it? Well, like, if you can get... Uh, when I, whenever I'm coaching GA teams, I actually spend a huge amount of time with their diets because... Uh, if you have a fella, let's say, right, when I went to Gary Moore first, so the likes of Jimmy Killian or Martin Maloney just were outstanding the first couple of years, you know? Yeah. So let's say he he could miss, you know, they, either of them two, they could miss four or five sessions and they come back and they still be flying. Right. But then you have a fella who's maybe out of shape or overweight and he trains every session for five, six months and he gets no fitter, you know? So, like, the diet is what the determining factor is there, yeah. you know? So, so, like, if a fella is training his arse off, but he's not watching what he eats, he's not going to get any fitter. You can run him into the ground, he's not going to get any fitter. But if a fella is lean all year round, you know, we all have that prick on the panel who misses half the training sessions, he still comes back and he's flying, you know? <laughs> yeah. He drives everyone mad, but he's always lean, you know? So he doesn't need to do as much training. Yeah. I think every... I think every team has someone like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And every uh, team has, never misses a session, but he's not getting any fitter. You know, so the diet can be the big factor there. So, okay, what about a fella now? Um, it's 2022. The days of, I remember in Burrishul in 2007, 2008, when I was involved with the senior panel, um, I think we had two of us, there was two of us in college. And the rest of the squad were working in construction. So it was like cement everywhere in the dressing room this evening. Everyone worked at either block layer, labor, carpenter. Do you know, it was just a real <laughs> animal. Like. And now, I, I don't think any of them work in, and most teams, you, it, it's rare you get someone that it works in construction or does physical work. It's, you know, it's just the way work, work life is. Do you think there's much an advantage of the block layer now or the labor? Do you need to do... Do, do they need to go to the gym? That's yeah. that's a brilliant question. Brilliant question. Um, so yeah, when I was you know, when I was starting to lift weights or whatever, I'd often heard people saying that you know natural strength is better than gym strength. <laughs> you know, I believed it. Because I thought there was a difference between natural strength and gym strength. But there isn't. You know, there's no difference. If you get your strength in the gym, it's no difference getting your strength out doing manual physical work. OK, but where there is a massive difference is natural strength, good genetics. So some fellas are just built like tanks. Mm. Um, you, know, you, see, you see 
Uh, well, when I was playing underage, we I played against Aidan O'Shea and maybe I suppose who else that age? Shane Nally, um, Jeremy McDonough, Killian O'Connor. Played played underage. They were massive, uh, really strong builds, even when they were 16, 17. You know, so like that natural strength. Sometimes people can think, oh, that's coming from all the manual labour. Not really. You know, some fellas like myself never been on a building site in their lives and they're naturally very strong some fellas who work out in the building site and they're still no stronger than anyone else you know yeah, yeah. but I, there is a time gone by and so my again my dad would have talked about a lot where fellas were you know they might have spent the full day in the bog and then played an all-ireland final in minor the year the day you know yeah and that be dead now which is sad you know yeah them days are gone i think I think I think it do, it does make a massive difference because you see the amount of injuries now, um, the amount of injuries that people are getting now, and it really annoys the old fellas in the pub because they didn't have hamstrings thirty years ago. Or, you know, they tell you that there was we never had injuries, yeah. but is that because we're humans are pushing ourselves now? We're 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 pushing ourselves to the point of breaking. Is that why we're getting so many injuries? Oh, definitely. That's that's because um, it wasn't. It, it, it definitely wasn't. It, the, the game they played wasn't as intense on the body or it wasn't as fast paced or they ran as much, you know? Yeah, of course. Um, well, it's, it's a few different things because, like, if you look, say, the likes of Colin Mack from Bershrule yeah. or James Nall, you know, James Nall, you remember James Nall playing? Like, they are absolute, you know, physical athletes, you know? Yeah. Like, they would, they would keep up no problem with any of the uh, club players of today. Maybe not the Lee Keegan or the Conor Callahan, but they, the majority of club players like Kieran McDonald, you know, they, they were, they would be up with Anathan physically wise today. I I, I remember Colin McManaman coming into the dressing room, like he had pecs and traps and he was like a bodybuilder. Like it used to, it used to, I never forget one day, he was a great man for not, or not bringing his own gear into training or whatever, so he'd always nick someone else's t-shirt or jacket. You'd never get it back. But he was late one day for training or out doing the warm up. I think Martin Connolly from Ballandine was managing us, and he rocks out. So he went obviously went rooting around the gear bags looking for something to wear, <laughs> and he found this Under Armour top. You know the skin tight ones that the and it was, it was like a medium, like it was already too small for probably a small lad. And it was just he came out the door. And like this is like we were in the middle of the training and it was, it was it was championship time things were serious and he this thing welded to him it was he looked like it was it was a, it was sculpted and everybody just stopped and started roaring laughing they were like look at the shape of this guy and he's nearly forty like how does he do it yeah exactly exactly and when I was training Guy Moore like Miles Fallon was forty and he marked Paddy Durkin do you know yeah. and Miles didn't spend time in the gym uh, I'm sure it was just he, he works manual labor and you know he didn't clean Paddy Durkin by any means but he, he was well competitive with him in a county semi-final you know yeah. uh, so that that used to that used to uh, fascinate me you know like people think maybe I'm a personal trainer I'm a strength conditioning coach that I you have to be in the gym or whatever if you're fit and strong and lean, I don't care if you did it, you know, out running the roads, out doing boxing training, out um, doing manual labor. It's just, if you keep, if you keep, if you're in good shape, that requires a lot of discipline. 
And that discipline will carry over into your sports performance on the GA field, you yeah. know. Yeah. I remember what day. Um, I don't remember Noel, and I don't. I, my, my dad uh, used to always talk about Ken Mortimer, like Ken Mortimer was a was a Lee Keegan or a uh, Oshin Mullen before that era of defenders. But uh, I remember Ray Kennelly playing, and he was just so athletic. He was just so strong, and he was so tough. So whether that comes from the gym or whether it comes from just being very disciplined um, in your hard training, never missing a training session, it doesn't really matter, you know. Yeah, it's um, it's genetics too. I think is a, is a is a big part of it. I mean, and and obviously having the head screwed on at the top top level. But you're right about, you know, diet is 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 a big part. It's it's living the lifestyle now. You can't just have the the fry. Yeah. Yeah, you can't have the fry most days of the week and uh, eating shite every evening and then go out and train. It's probably pointless. So, even if, I know, like uh, Giz and and Kieran Fitz would have used my gym plenty of times, um, but during the successful Carafin period, you know, yeah, and they would have been doing. Mike Comer is your man's name. I remember it now. Yeah, uh, he's a brilliant. and coach and goalist. They would always been doing his programs, but like they were, you know, peak condition or optimal condition year round you know they're always fit they're always lean looking they're always strong and they weren't living like monks either it's not like they never had any bit of bad food or anything but 90 percent 80 20 90 10 90 percent of their food would have been very um good choices you know and that's why they were able to be so successful up close to 40 you know yeah it is it does take a bit of luck as well, though. I think when you get to the, you know, genetics is a big part of these lads that get to this age. Um, and I suppose the workload, workload you do before it, like I don't think we'll be seeing Lee Keegan playing Masters football in eight years' time. But, the, you know, yeah. there's a certain, you know, people are on different different lifestyles, whatever, yeah. and they've done certain things when no, they're younger. The, the, the three I mentioned earlier on, like uh, Aidan Higgins, Paddock or Alan Dillon. I don't think any of them would have been killing themselves with weights. Maybe I'm wrong, you know. Um, but I'd be always awful interested and I'd always be trying to you know, pinch things when I hear it, when I talk to people from their clubs and what's he like? What's he like to train? Does he ever miss a session? Does he ever um yeah. does he lift weights? Does he run the roads? How how does he keep himself fit? Do you know, there's far more than one way to skin a cat. But what, no matter how, how uh, you end up in good shape, there's a lot of discipline required. And I think yeah. that's what you're trying to There is more than anything is, can you be disciplined enough to, you know, to keep yourself in good shape? So I'm working with Mayo Gales at the minute and like, again, very, very lucky I'm there with James Fallon and Edo and Dermo and I'm really, just really enjoy it because they're all so young and they're all so hungry and they, that's what I'm trying to teach them really more than Anton is like, how do you keep yourself in shape year round? You know, how do you focus on getting a bit stronger, a bit fitter year round? How, how are you making sure you're watching your diet? And and they're lapping it up. They're really enjoying. Like I, I go to training all the time. And there's some tough weeks. We had a bad result yesterday against Casabar, but they're so young. They won the intermediate title last year and the average age was 21. Wow. And like none of them, none of them have ever played before this year, um, Knock Moore's first team, Casabarri's first team, Brafey's first team, Gary Moore's first team. Yeah. Um, 
like Ballinaz first team, like there's it's all so new to them. So the freshness is a lot of fun. But they took they took a lesson from Mitchell's uh, yesterday. That you know, just like a lot of the stuff that I've been working on them with the last two years, maybe they thought that would give them a massive advantage. But you go up to senior, and then every team is doing that. You know, yeah. Every team is doing the video. Every team is doing the kick out pressing. Every team is doing the tackle counts. You know, so you don't get the advantage that you got in maybe intermediate or whatever. I don't think you know a lot of people will follow the average club fan will go to their own game rather be a junior or an intermediate team and they'll follow them through so it'll be junior championship matches you'll be at most of the time senior and then you watch your inter-county but for me when I go to all the different games at different levels it's it's the top six seven teams in senior level blow me away with the physicality and even even the sounds the sounds of the hits are just it's shocking uh, the pace these lads play at. I don't think a lot of people realise what it takes to I, get that level. I think if you want to realise what made me realise it, now I had a feeling, you know, when I was coaching Gary Moore, but what made me realise it was coaching down in Clare. Like, th- there's no different genetics down there. They're very fit, they're very strong. There's plenty of good footballers down there, you know? Yeah. But the intensity of the game uh, is just nowhere near male. You know, like I remember going to watch. There's a there's a brilliant game on YouTube, you know, Castlebar and Ballantubber. There's two of them actually, the county final and then the year after the county semi final replay. And if you watch them, the intensity of both games is just unbelievable. Yeah. You know, it's like win one and Ballantubber win the other, but like they're so intense that teams couldn't live with them in that period. So Mitchells and Castlebar were completely dominating. Oh, yeah. And I think. I think Brafey and Knockmore were very close to them, but not at that level. And then Gary Moore were just behind that. Yeah. Do you know, so. But Gary Moore like, had been consistently up there for, like, since I remember watching football, it's always been like they've been middle of the middle of the road, senior, you know, touching the top end of stuff, were able to compete with anyone. Well, what what what's like? Is it just tradition, or is it just as a ethos out there that just Everyone does their work, and that's it. I'm not. Yeah, I, I don't. Like, I don't want you to ask the, the the magic recipe or anything. I know you won't, but yeah. Like. <laughs> well, well, like I, I loved, I loved training up in Gaymore. I, like, I still am on such good terms with so many of the players and the people out there. But they, they do have such high standards for commitment to training. You know, yeah. like I think a lot of clubs, and when when I went out to Mayo Gales first, there was a lot of like soft excuses like oh, I'm you know I'm missing training tonight or they don't do that out in Gaymore like everyone's at training all the time and that's it I, me- I remember like Vincent Ford and Tony Corkin they were the managers the first two years I was out there like they just they were 100% behind it and they just expected every other player to be 100% behind it and whether they got that or not didn't matter that's what they expected you know yeah. and I think in again in Kieran Fitzgerald's documentary Rochford says uh, a brilliant point now I've heard it before um, but it was like he never asked anyone to do what he wouldn't do himself you yeah. know and I if you're a coach of a team if you're a manager of a team you have to be setting the standards in terms of not missing training giving it a hundred percent and like Tony and Fenton used to join in a lot of the training you know 
And that's a great thing about Mayo Gales at the minute as well as like James Fallon, you know, Alan Prendergast, the chairman. They were doing all the strength and conditioning work in the off season with the lads. That's a that's a brilliant thing. You know, that's a brilliant yeah. thing that you don't ask the lads to do anything you're not willing to do yourself. Yeah. And it's it's the first thing that it's the first thing that they'll question you on. If you challenge them, they'll it's the first thing in any human's mind is to turn around and be like, Well, what about you? Yeah. You know, you'll you'll point to <laughs> straight away. I, I, yeah, I, the, the, the text message I see not around I, that, that or the thumbs down in WhatsApp groups breaks my heart. Like I cannot. I've been involved with different teams, and if when you get when you when someone puts something, like, why would you put that up not around? Like you know, you're either yeah. in. I think priorities is the big thing, isn't it? When it comes to teams now, you have to get them to prioritize the football. Of course, of course, and like remember early on in the talk, I I, I mentioned the few fellas. Like you can imagine, Andrew Glavary, Declan Riley, Ray Dempsey, these people, like they're just one, you know, by even their demeanor, like they're just 100% behind what they're doing. You yeah. Know? And that rubs off on the players. It rubs off on the players so much. Um, so, like, I'd love to, um, I'd love to sit down and talk to Ray Dempsey like in an interview mm. right I know he never would like but I find him fascinating yeah. I think uh, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah he's, a, he's a personality like he's reinvented himself like he's been on the road managing teams for a long time and he's still at the top now yeah and like I remember when I was managing Gary Moore we played against him twice and you know, he, he he's just such a dominant figure on the sideline you know it's, he's nearly like uh a Mayo club version of Cody, you know? Yeah. And it, it lives, like a lot of those people I've been mentioning, they live for that competition. But at the same time, it's friendly after the final whistle. You know, it's awful intense while the game is on. But I've the people I've met and came across in GAA circles in Mayo are just, they're so willing to give their advice. They're so willing to chat yeah. football and, you know, the vast, so the, vast majority, the vast majority, yeah, you, you, I think you've got to be approachable too to a certain level as when you're a manager of a senior team. You've got to have people's skills to a certain degree, even if you are, do come across an absolute prick on the sideline. Well, yeah. well, I, in experience, the, the nice guy, the fellow who wants to be friends with everyone is often the least trustworthy. You know, the fellow who, who's a bit thicker who's a bit thicker and he's a bit straighter and Phil will say, you know, don't mess yeah. with that fucker. Yeah. He's actually... We're honest, you know, yeah. That's their type of. That's the type of people I've got on the best with, you know. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing, and it's constantly changing. It's constantly moving along, isn't it? The football sphere. Yeah. Um, if, I, if you are greasy and you're trying to be everyone's best pal, and you're trying to, oh, I'm telling you one thing and I'm telling you the other, like the players will see that very, very quickly. Yeah. Very, very quickly. Yeah. The players are smart, and they'll be able to see through that very quickly and you won't last very long it's a it's a short strategy it is it is, it is. It's, it, it's all right for you it's all right for a couple of months but the heat comes on yeah humidity is a big part of it all right um it is and i just wanted one thing as well kevin i think it's amazing as well when it, when it comes to the mayo world and the bubble that we live in and we all you know we all take part in it whatever and it it, it means so much to people within mayo and coaches yeah. and the f- players and everything else but yes I, it always hits me, like to be a county final on in McHale Park or something, and there's people having the time of their lives. 
and you'll see the cars going by up on the on the thing road. The, the world is still going on, yet we think this is like the biggest thing in the world. Yet there's so many people who haven't a clue what's the difference between Knockmore or Gary Moore. <laughs> I think it's yeah, crazy. Yeah. We get so but we get so built up about it. I, I remember reading a quote in Gerlach Nan's book. He was saying that um when he when he went home, he he referenced a quote he had read, but he put it in his book. And it was like an Olympic champion. They asked him how he deal with the defeat or how he deal with the setback. And he goes, when I go home at night, the dog will still lick my face. You know? <laughs> and people people, re, people don't realize sometimes that you know, you're playing the biggest game in Mayo today, but most of the people in your own town don't even know that game is on. Yeah. So it's it means the world to you, but there's more to it at the same time. That's why I have the tagline and the Twitter Twitter bio. It's only a game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, but, um, like, it's just. But at the same time, to have that outlet, oh, it's like, massive, we're, yeah. we're not living in a city. We're not living where we have loads and loads of different things to be doing. Like, we we have this thing in Mayo, and it is football, and there's so many people involved in it so heavily. Mm. It's it's just a brilliant outlet. Like it's 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 so good to be involved in, and you can get. That's why I'm not on Twitter really. You know, I've I've. If you look at my Twitter, it's only been um, it's only been the last few weeks when I'm promoting the run and the fundraiser that I've been on it. It just gets very negative, and it can <laughs> get very toxic. And great things about it, but you can get very negative, very toxic. In in general, like you're so much better off being very very positive about the game. You know, um, like I met uh, James Horn a few years ago. Uh, my dad just met him at a, a club game and he just said, would you mind if I got your number? And would you meet uh, my son? He's managing Gary Moore. And it was that simple. And James was happy to meet me and he was happy to give me his time. And the same with Jack O'Connor. I got to meet the two of them. Too, and they were more than happy to sit down with me, talk football, ask a few questions. You know, as long as you're not looking for idle gossip and you're not looking for small talk, these people are delighted that a young coach has taken a uh, thing and they want to give their time to young footballers. Sometimes you look at managers at the top of the club game or at the top of the inter-county game and you think these guys are just ruthless animals, you know. And I think a lot of that comes from when you're in a county setup you're picking panels by process of elimination. You're removing nine out of 10 people, you know? When people see it that way, when what you have to be thinking is they don't see it that way. They're looking at, I'm picking one out of 10 and he's lucky to be involved in the panel. The fellow who doesn't get picked might take it very personally and that hurts, goes through that person, it goes through that club, it goes through whatever else. But you, know, you can't pick everyone and it's it might seem like it's ruthless. But these people, when you go and meet them, they're they're really nice guys and they're just trying to be as positive as they can be. You know, sometimes you think, Cody, what an animal, but I'm sure he's a nice guy at the end of it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it is. There's a lot to. There's a lot to digest. There. Um, there's a lot of good points there now I'm going to. Be thinking about that now on the on, on the spinning to work. What we were talking about it was very good. Um, geez, yeah. No, no. Just to, just to finish, like there is, there's so much value in different opinions. You know, like the all the management teams I've been involved with, like we have 
argued and rowed and you know this is the right thing to do this is the wrong thing to do and this is who should be marking who but i i find a lot of fun in that you know it's argumentative and it's a debate and it's a bit of a battle but like there's a lot of fun in that stuff too there is there is there is um so the run back to the run back to the run we're going you're going when saturday sunday is it yeah it's it's saturday and look Appreciate you having me on here to, to help raise the, a bit of awareness about it. And how do we donate? It's just the GoFundMe link on my Twitter or the GoFundMe link on my Instagram. And if you can donate Anton at all, I'd really appreciate it. And if you can't donate Anton, there's a competition just you know to help raise awareness. There's a there's a reel on my Instagram. You just share that and you have a chance to win an iPhone. So if you could either donate or share the competition, I'd, I'd really appreciate it. And just thanks for having me on again. No problem at all. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll bump into each other on the sideline someday or some match somewhere. Might get a few yeah. words off you um, after a match. Um, yeah, that's good. <laughs> hey, you're, it's, it's, healthy, it's healthy to have arguments. Uh, Kev, thanks very much for coming on. Really uh, appreciate you giving us the time, insight, little bits of knowledge on certain things within the game, whether it be strength and condition, coaching, um, and just the overall bigger picture of uh, managing a football team. So, uh, yeah, that was really good, really enjoyable. Uh, I'll share the links on the page, folks, so if you can donate, please do get onto the Instagram as well, enter the competition to win an iPhone as well. So, brilliant. Kev, Thanks very much for coming on. Really appreciate it. It was excellent. Thanks very much. See you later. Thanks very much for everyone for listening. That was really, really good with uh, Kev. And we will um, be chatting to you again. I'll have end on for our review of the Mayo and the Mayo game the weekend, Mayo and Kildare. And uh, after that, we'll uh, we'll, uh, see what happens after that. So, yeah, up Mayo.